Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. How are you, Tuss? I'm so good. Well, everyone, we are back again with a baby cast, we think. It is a baby cast. <laughs> and we're going to talk about why Tusney doesn't use Lash Maps. Mm-hmm. I know that's very common in our industry, and we aren't saying you shouldn't use a no, Lash no, Map. No, Lash Maps are great. But... There is a different approach, and so we're going to share some of the reasons why she does it. But before that, as always, guys, what do we have going up? By the way, I want to share our model here. I want just a little transparency, like how we do business and why we do the how podcast. How do we do business? Yeah, well, our podcast is really what we call in the marketing world a lead generator, right? We do this as a tool to get people excited to serve our community in hopes that some of you will love what we do and want to dig deeper and take classes and trainings and LashCon and do all that stuff. So this is why we don't do paid advertising on our podcast. We've been approached a bunch of times saying, hey, we'll pay you money to do your podcast. Actually, I shouldn't say we'd never. I think LashBase, way back we in the did. early days, we did a couple ads for LashBase. But since then, we've decided, nope, we're not going to be doing that. This is just our way for us to promote some of our stuff. So you can help us to do our podcast by supporting and taking our classes, our webinars and trainings and LashCon and such. And I just want to give that front. I just never want what we're doing to be like hidden, like we have this manipulation tool and we're doing tricky things to get people. No, we're just here to serve. But like everyone else, we have to make a living too. And that's why I always do ads in the beginning for our upcoming events. So just thought I'd give you a little peek behind the curtain on what we're doing why. Does that make sense? Say any questions to us? No, no, it's good. I mean, our whole goal is to serve the industry. And that's yeah. why we share freely the information that we do. Because my biggest goal long-term is to look back at a body of work and to see my DNA or my fingerprint on the industry. Yeah. And I want successful businesses. I want to see businesses on every corner. I want to see smart women you know, thriving. Yeah, we want to see... You guys, our listeners, rise to the top and then say that we had a part of that. That's just our legacy. That's something when you look back in your life and go, what type of impact did I have? Well, our children is important. Our walk with our we're Christians, so our walk with our Lord and our faith is important. But also our business. We want to make sure that our business was making an impact and that we were leaving some sort of legacy there. So that's what it is. And so I just want to leave that as a, just a behind the scenes because sometimes I'm, I'm wondering or I think you guys probably go, why does always Paul do this? Or why do they do that? Or why don't do they do pay ads? So I just thought, why not? We had a short podcast. Why not share some behind the scenes? So real quick, guys, we have our last styling courses out. We have four classes out by our next one. Our first one of the year is in Scottsdale with Lash Anarchist on February 26th through 27th. And we have a discount code. If you use Scottsdale 300 on the checkout, you will save $300. And by the time this comes out, I don't know if we'll still have seats, but go check if we do. If not, then the next time you can catch us will be in April with Shelby from Lash Boss Radio. And we'll be at Austin, Texas on April 9th and 10th. And you just go to our Instagram page. You'll see more links to all the other classes there. And you can check it out. Also, we right now, just I think a few days after this launches, we have our How to Find Clients Without Using Instagram webinar on February 7th at 4 p.m. It's only $67, or if you're a LashCast insider, you have gotten an email where you could have gotten for only $57. Good reason to become an insider. And yeah, that's all that. And we have a lot more stuff coming, but for now, I think we will end with that and let's get into it. So let's talk about Lash Maps because this is something that is grown. Like this didn't exist like 12, 14 years ago. People weren't doing maps. People were just doing classic and everyone pretty much worked in one layer and it was just very usually fake looking for a lot of people. 
But then Lash Maps came on the scene. I don't remember when exactly, but let's say 10, 12 years ago, maybe. Some people started coming with this idea. Well, why don't we just plan out what we're going to do? And then also we can record that and we can track it and we can give those maps to other people, which there's a lot of people out there doing them and helping people think of new ways of design. And then that's when the layering started coming in. They started doing top layer, middle layer, the bottom layer. And so it began to evolve. But as that happened, I remember Tusney never went down that path. And it wasn't because she didn't want to or didn't understand it. She just had a different approach. So I thought, Tuss, this would be your chance to break down. Why don't you use lash maps? Well, lash maps are like, there's nothing wrong with them. It's, it's simply a tool. Yeah. It's a guideline. You can use a pre-made one or you can design your own. And it just helps you remember where you are and what you want to do. It's helpful sometimes to have a roadmap on where you're going to go, and that's what a lash map is. Helpful sometimes to have a roadmap on where you're going to go, and that's what a lash map is. So the reason why I don't use one is because I usually have principles that guide my my work, my design work. Okay, So it's super important to me. The highest key or the highest level or the highest goal or good for me is longevity. And when I say longevity, I mean for the client to look good for as long as they possibly can in the lashes, not to have like one or two hanging on at six weeks. Yeah, sometimes you'll see an ad go, the lashes last eight weeks. I'm like, yeah, of course, some last eight weeks, but... Not enough to walk around and say, hey, I have great lashes. Right. So my goal is for them to look amazing for as long as they can. Like that's usually like three to four weeks and they still look pretty full coming back in. So in order to do that, in order to give the most longevity, what you have to do is you have to think ahead when you're working. Basically, you're planning for your client's future growth. Every lash we know is in its own state of growth. It doesn't come out of the hair factory or the Play-Doh extruder all at the same time. Each lash has a different growth pattern. So one, two lashes next to each other do not necessarily are growing at the same rate or, or maybe one's all the way grown and one is not, That's right? right. And we see that when we're working, you know, there's a really long one, it's a really mature lash, and then we see a little baby one next to it. So what I do when I'm working is I'm calculating what that lash is going to do between now when I'm seeing the client and the next time I'm going to see her. So you're like the lash whisperer. <laughs> well, you're just thinking, you know, what's what's going to happen? Because my goal is for her to look great, the best she can in two weeks from now, and then for it to go another two weeks before she has to come in. So that means that it's kind of like a, a flower, which is tight in the bud when you first get it. You don't buy roses when they're like f- in full bloom and full open. I mean, you can, you know. Uh, I, rose- I do, and you, you get mad at me. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I like it when you buy me flowers, yes. but gift certificates are better. I know, or money, money's <laughs> Give better. Give me the money. Or, or, or facials or skincare or spa I'm treatments. I'm going to go to the spa. Yeah, go to yeah. spa. But anyway, so I'm looking at a lash. So if it's a baby lash, then I'm going to put a very short lash on it. I'm, when I say short, I'm talking like seven, like yeah. A seven millimeter you would, or an a eight. five or six if you could, if they, they don't oh, really make yes. those. Yes. I have this dream to have short lashes only because, <laughs> I, I mean, they're not like super popular, but to me, they are the most versatile lashes. So this is really different because if you're doing a lash map, you're just going like, I'm using sevens on the inside, then I go to eight, nine, tens, let's say. You're going to say, you're going to look at the lashes and, and let's say the area where it would be sevens, you'd be like, well, some lashes are small and I will put like a six or a seven, let's say on that small one. 
but you maybe wouldn't do that for a longer one. You put a longer one on other ones, or how does that work? Well, a lash map is just, it's not necessarily paying any attention to what each lash is doing in its growth phase, right? That's right. You're just saying so sevens all across. If you've or... got the, like the very middle of the, the eye or towards the outside corner where you want a very long lash, you're going to put one a very long lash no matter what the map says, even it. if it's a very short lash. And you, which means if you put it a very long lash on a very short lash, it's going to grow a lot. So it might droop, it might twist, it might hang, that kind of thing. I think that's the big key. I picked a bad example talking about short lashes. But if you go on the outside and you have long lashes and someone says, just put all 13s on all of them, but they have a baby lash with a 13, that one's going to just shoot out like a rocket. Mm-hmm. And I think I, that's... It a, twists and, and then it, it twists. hangs and you've got one that the client's like, I tried to calm this one in place, but it kept going whack, whack. And then I just got mad and pulled it out. Yeah. And for you, this is when you begin to realize this early in your career, like, wait, I can't just do all one size. I need to almost look at each hair read its mind, go, okay, you're a baby lash. That means you're going to grow out, so I have to plan for growth is yeah, what you'd say. that's right. Let's just pretend that they're all growing out at the same length at the same time. You are going to do all the same length on your client. Let's yeah. say you're just going to put a 10, 10s, uh, 10 fans, 10s classics, whatever. Let's go back to 2008 when it was all one size across. Yeah, you, yeah. you put those 10s all the way across the lashes in two weeks from now, some of those lashes are going to be really long. Some are going to be twisty. Some are going to be hanging out. They're not all going to be at the same length, right? If you want them to be at the same length, you have to pay attention to where each lash is, is in its growth phase, and you have to plan accordingly. So that way you give the client a little bit more longevity, right? It's yeah. subtle. It's super subtle, but again, it impacts the wear and it impacts the way that the client, her experience is. And the more you can tailor it so that you don't have ones that are going growing out, it's going to be a smoother experience for her. And I think that's the real big difference that you begin to see. This was years ago when you kind of discovered this, that your lashes, when they came in, stayed pretty even all the way across because the baby lashes would grow in and they would just kind of match up with what was already there versus having those things become rockets that just launch off on their own and flying in the wind like sails. And one of the biggest things we got with our staff is people were like, wow, with your lashes, I don't get the twisting and the turning that I get at other places. Yeah. So if you want to do the same thing, just like you've got a really short lash on there, go a couple millimeters, two to four millimeters shorter than you normally would. And the thing is, is that you you might think that the client's going to notice that's going to look really short and she's going to be weirded out or that they're going to notice when it grows out. It, it doesn't. You can't tell. That's why they might say to you, oh, I, I almost didn't want to come in. I almost canceled my appointment because they look so good today. But, you know, from your point of view as the artist, you know that they're all about to come out because they've grown out so much. Yeah. Now, I know for us, when we teach our class, one of the things we talk about is one size fits all just doesn't work. It doesn't work with clothing. It doesn't work with makeup. Maybe you can kind of explain that concept. Okay, so one of the ways that people have described using lash maps and one of the benefits is that it's the only way to ensure that you're going to get exactly the same on both eyes. That's a great goal. You want to give the client symmetry. But the problem is, is that we are not perfectly symmetrical. There is asymmetry, right? Yeah. One eye generally like is... Shannon Doherty. No one knows who she is. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he's talking about... A famous uh, actress of back 90210. Yeah, back in the 90s. Beverly Hills. Yeah, Beverly Hills 90210. Yes. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's got a little asymmetry going. Well, we all do. Yeah. 
And it actually well, no, my is eyes are perfect. one of the features of being beautiful, right? You know, there is some slight asymmetry there. Like with teeth, if it's all perfectly even, it looks fake, right? You want a little bit of yeah. snaggle tooth well, going on. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I'll make sure I work on that. Well, so the point is, is that eyes are slightly different. Yes. And eye shapes are different. So you might use one map for one person and try to accomplish the same thing on another one with a different anatomy. And it's completely different. Like two gals walk in to the makeup counter and they say, give me natural makeup. But the color of their skin, first of all, is going to determine what colors that you use. You can't give a natural look of makeup with two different skin tones. I mean, you can give them natural look, but you can't use the same formula, right? Yeah, yeah. Just like a small dress. A small dress isn't going to fit the same on two different body types. Yeah, you, we have a picture of a one-size-fits-all T-shirt. And, like, uh, and it, it does fit everyone, but it fits very differently. Like a really small person, it's huge. Someone that's bigger, it's really tight. So, yeah, okay, sure, it's one-size-fits-all, but it doesn't really look the same on all people. It looks very different. And I think that was the thing you said with makeup. You have variations on what – you won't have a one-size – like a palette – that's one size fit all for makeup. Like, okay, use this makeup pattern on all people. And the makeup magically changes to each skin tone. No. no. So when you're doing lashes, let's just take the concept of somebody who's got different looking eyes. Like one eye has maybe just a touch of ptosis, which is when the eyelid hangs down a little bit over the iris of the eye. It's kind of like the hallmark sleepy or bedroom eye. So you cannot do both eyes exactly the same. Why? Because when the client stands up from the table the asymmetry is going to be even more pronounced. What your goal is when you're doing asymmetrical eyes is to have the ends of the lashes end up exactly at the same place on both eyes. So if one is a little bit shorter, you have to elongate the lashes on the shorter eye. And from our point of view as the lash artist, it can be really stressful to do that because the difference in how it looks is so great. I would have to teach my staff and say, do not worry, trust my formula, trust the process. It's going to look completely bizarre to you from your point of view, but when the client gets up and looks in the mirror, they're going to look fabulous. That's another thing. When you do lashes, you want to do lashes from the client's perspective, not from your perspective. Who cares what the lashes look like when their eyes are closed and they're behind you? Because the client never even sees their eyes closed anyway, unless somebody's like standing over them taking a selfie and they're checking it, right? But... You want to do it from when their eyes are open. So that's why whenever I do somebody new, I always take a before picture of their eyes open because I'm looking, where is the apex of their eye? Where does it start to droop down? What angle are those lashes growing out at? Because that determines the row play, basically how, which size lashes and which length that you use on which different rows of lashes. So... Basically, for you, when you're doing this, you are totally ignoring the lash map concept. You're just looking at the lashes and personally finding what you think is on that one size, whether it's a short one, long one. And, but in general, you'll still go longer on the outside or longer in the middle if you're trying to create that pop in the middle. But it's not going to be just all one size. You may have a variation. Plus, I think for you, I think it's a more natural look, right? If you do a longer 13 and you mix an 11 or 12 in there and don't just do all the same size. Don't get me wrong. Lash maps are incredibly useful. And I use them in the very beginning. When I first started, I would map them out for myself. I don't remember that. I didn't know that. Well, this was like in the dark ages, 2006, right? Okay, okay. It's like when you are an artist. Like I went to fashion design school and we would have to sketch, fashion sketching. 
and you would use a croquis, that's what it's called, and you would sketch the underlying model and then you would sketch the clothes over it. But you do that so many times, after a while you understand the proportions and you don't have to draw the model underneath, you can just draw the clothes on the top. So after a while of doing lashes and doing the map for a long time, I began to figure out where my points were without having to write them out. And that can be true of everybody who's doing lash map. You just It just becomes so automatic or autonomic. It's like riding a bike. You don't need your training wheels after you've learned how to get your balance. I think one of the things too, I remember that we show in our class is we show a woman who's like 20 years old and then we show a woman's like 65 and you say, here is the lash map. And would it look the same? Would you use the exactly the same lash map on both faces? And this is the problem where people give out lash maps and I use this, use this to get this look. I'm like, but all eyes aren't the same shape. Their lashes themselves, I mean, this is something we teach in our course called Lash Triple D. They have different lengths, they have different angles, they have different sparse, some are sparse, some are more closely together, some are dense, some are thicker, some are thin. Like, all these variables could come into play, and if you're going to use the same map on the same eyes or different eyes it's going to look completely different totally doesn't mean that it's wrong it's just going to be you you don't have as much control over it for example one of the biggest factors in design is the angle the angle what the lashes are growing out at because that's going to determine so many things lots of times when i see lash maps it's really about a caucasian eye or an eye without an epicanthal fold an epicanthal fold is sometimes people refer to them as asian eyes or a, a, a monolid that's the technical term for mm-hmm. that fold somebody who has an, an epicanthal fold their lashes are going straight down and you're not going to get the same effect from somebody if, you, if you're using lash map. With somebody with an angle that her lashes are going straight down, you really need to give her dimension. Because when somebody comes into me and they say they've got an epicanthal fold and they say they want a cat eye, well, then I'll ask them this. Do you want your eyes to look narrow and long, like super skinny, very, very small and long? Or do you want them to look open and wide? And usually they say open and wide. If it's open and wide, I don't give them a cat eye. If you give them one dimensional, it's only going to make the whites of the eyes look smaller. It's going to make them feel super, super heavy. And it's going to kind of draw attention to the narrowness or that smallness of the eye. If you want to counteract the natural lashes going straight down, what you need to do is give them dimension. And you absolutely positively have to separate the rows. The row that is closest to you The one that is closest to the eyebrow, which is what I'm going to call the top row, that row needs to be really short and in the up position. So if your bottom row is longer, and I'm going to say like you're using a 10 at the bottom, the top row isn't going to be a 9 because that's not really short. That's only one millimeter shorter, and you really won't be able to tell the difference. I'm talking it should be a 7 or an 8 fan because it looks a little bit different. It really needs to stand up so that it creates height. So that when you're looking at the client with her open eye, you see the tips of the lashes. You don't want to see the belly of the lashes, right? And you can only see that when those lashes are pointing down. So with somebody who's got an angle that's going down, you really need to give her dimension. The top row needs to be short, like two to four millimeters shorter. And they need to be in the up position. Her middle, both, mostly somebody who's got an epicanthal fold, her apex, the pop, the longest is really going to be in the center of the eye. Sometimes if that, that fold is extremely severe, it is even a little bit more towards the opening of the eyebrow, which is opposite 
of a Caucasian eye or an eye without that fold. Now you're going to treat an eye that's a hooded, some somebody say hooded, the, the technical term for a hood is called a medial fold. Somebody like a Jennifer Lawrence has that fold. Women and men, as they age and skin gets a little bit laxer, sometimes that fold comes forward. Most of us call it a, a hooded eye. That person needs the opposite of dimension. They don't need the dimension. Because of that fold, you can't see it that much. So you're going to treat her a little bit differently. You're just you're going to put most of the link on the bottom row, and it's going to be longer, and it's going to be a little bit more curly so that you can see it. Mm-hmm. So this, we're giving you a little peek into Tusney's training classes as she goes through all this stuff. The idea here is just to show you that design is really complex. There's a lot to it. I mean, yes, when you get going and you're first learning, you should just... You know what? Just get that hair on and maybe follow a lash map and give yourself the training wheels like you said you did in your early years. But eventually, you need to start designing specifically for each person. A one-size-fits-all, like this is my favorite lash map and I use it on 80% of my clients, is actually going to hurt you. You're not going to do as good work because you're going to be forcing designs on people that maybe aren't best because they have a hooded eye or maybe they have something else that they're a little older and eyes are a little more sagging and this this design maybe looks really good on lashes that point up and have are very durable and you know what I mean like you, you have to really make it custom made and by the way as a selling point as a lash artist I think it just makes more sense to tell people like I do custom made work for every person. I don't use maps. I don't use some standard one size fits all. I look at your eyes and I design what you specifically need for your lashes. And I think that's a big selling point. That's true. But I, I want to be really careful here. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with maps. So when you no. say I don't use maps, that's kind of implying that there's well, something. It's not a moral decision. It's not, it's a preference. And it's also a thing in the evolution as an artist. Yeah. I think and initially every artist, like every great painter, how do they learn to paint? Well, they actually paint and copy other great painters right. ahead of them, right? And then they get better yeah. at it. Think about Botox injectors or nurses or doctors that, you know, you have a guideline of where you put the neurotoxins, you know, where the muscles are. Because everybody's facial anatomy is generally the same. Those round muscles around our eyes are all the same. You know, basically everyone's heart is in the same position. Uh, mine's not. What's two sizes too small, that's right. (laughs) Lump of coal in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then as you get roughly where those, the you know, the frontalis muscles are and the whatever. Yeah. But as you develop, as an injector develops, then they can look at the nuance and say, oh, did somebody have a scar there above their arm? You know, did you once have... They're they're, they're just figuring out the tailor more specifically to your face versus just a... Pointing with one section, right? There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They can no, realize that the muscles can behave a little bit differently, a little bit stronger on one side than the other. So you're going to put the right amount, the dose in a, a little bit more accordingly. Yeah. And that, and that, so again, if you're doing lash maps and you, you live or die, your lash maps, good for you. We're not saying don't do that. But we do want to open your eyes that there's maybe another way to go about it. Like everything we do, we're always about, where this, why do you do what you do? And is there another way? Is there something different out there to try new ideas? And by the way, this allows you to experiment and do different things where people create the wet look or people create strip lash looks. You know, cause, because I someone decided that. to say, no, I'm going to do something I'm different. I'm going to do something different. And why, my one encouragement for you listeners is to play with your perspective. If you are so used to doing the lashes one way, where it's flat on the pad and when you've got your tweezers and you're 
you're resting them on the gel pad and you're separating the lashes and you're dropping them on, I'm going to encourage you to change that perspective so that you're not looking over top and dropping them on top of the pad. But I'd like you to lift those lashes a little bit more so that they're not flat on the pad, but they are up and the tips are pointing towards the ceiling. And you would do this either with your fingers or, or you some use it with tape. tape. Yeah, you just tape. want to make sure that the eye is closed because when the eye is open, it does not get happy during yeah. the surface. Okay, Particulates it can get, red. get in there. And, yeah. So um, when those lashes are in the up position in a ninety degree angle, it changes the way that you put lashes on, and you have a new perspective on the layers of the eye and the lashes and the base, and you can get a better, different fit than putting them on from the top. So it can elevate your game. It can change the way you do it. It can make you pay more attention to different aspects of longevity. So I encourage you to break out of a mold that you've been working on if you're doing lashes in completely one perspective. And what we love to do, and this is what Tessany's done all these years, is she will just try new things. And there's nothing wrong with you doing that with your clients. Now, you don't want to do your whole appointment like that because you may mess things up. I, we always say, you know what? If you were trying a new idea, just maybe try for five, 10 minutes with the client. Just get use of it and then go back to your typical so that you get a full set of lashes on and you make sure that they're happy. But you can or get a model and say, you know what? I am giving you a free set. I'm going to try some new things. I'm going to try to push the boundaries. I'm going to pop the lid is like what we call it. We teach us in our training too. And I'm going to try to put lashes on this way and see how easier or harder it is for me. Like anything at first, it's going to be more and more difficult. But over time, yeah. you'll, you'll pick it up. Or I'm really going to try to make that top row completely four millimeters shorter and see what it looks like. Yeah, From it. your point of view, it's going to look weird. And you're going to freak out the very first couple times that you do it. In fact, our staff had a hard time all the time all with the this. All the time. All the time. They but- just didn't trust that it worked. They were like, no, no, no. I'll put longer on top. And then if you have got clients that have that fold, that epicanthal fold, you will, because nobody does lashes this way. And if you're able to to give them this amazing look, they'll never go anywhere else. So you've got nothing to lose, but you're gaining a skill when you try something different. Well, we can keep going on in this, but a lot of this is actually hard to teach. It's really meant to be seen visually speaking. So like we said earlier, I think we do have our lash retention course where we go into a full day. We spend like six hours breaking down the theory, then we get your hands on, and then the second day you get two models and you intestinally sits with there and it just helps you. But if you want to check it out, please do. I promise you. You will see lashing in a whole new light. And it's for really every form of lashing. I know a lot of people know that when we started, we were just classic back in the old days and we held out a little bit. But Tustany transitioned really after she took volume classes, but then she went ahead and said, you know what? Pre-maids do the same thing. And yes. we're, you're pretty and I much, do yeah. have to say this class, um, it's not for the faint of heart. No. It's really challenging. And so it's best to have at least one year experience yeah. underneath your belt. Otherwise, it's just too much. Too difficult. And, and if you do classic pre-mades or pro-mades, you're totally, it's perfect for that. We aren't as big on, vo- if you're doing just volumes, like making fans there on the spot, this is, you can use the principles. You but can, but you have to crystallize it. You have to yeah. snatch it before you lay it. Yeah. And that's difficult. So I, we really don't advise it if that's what you're only doing at this time. But more and more people are moving the pre-made world. I feel like our technique is really going to really help a lot of people who are moving into that stage of lashing as pre-mades become more and more the standard. So Tess, thank you so much. 
You're so welcome. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, I want to ask you to please follow us on Instagram at Lashcast Podcast and at The Lash Conference. And remember to subscribe, share, and review. On behalf of my Lash Bun Bun Tusney, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing. And remember, you have a friend in the lash industry. <laughs>